I want to talk this morning about developing what I call mental res uh, resilience. You know, you see a lot of people go through life, and uh, this is one of the surprising things to me when I was a fireman, is that the little things that would upset some people, the little tiny things that people would call about that to them were emergencies, and they weren't emergencies at all, and they, yet they were really upset. And then you see other people go through life, and uh, bad things seem to happen to them. And like one of my pool customers was telling me, the other day, they said, well, it is what it is. And so you see some people not able to deal with problems of life, and other people just seem to not affect them at all. And that's because they have mental resilience. Uh, and I liken this to a, having a car without shock absorbers. If you're going down uh, any road, actually, even what we consider smooth roads, without shock absorbers, every little bump would be, you would notice it, and it would be a miserable drive. I think about my grandfather Hazleton was a preacher back, I guess, driving Model A's, and he'd drive hundreds of miles on roads that were a lot worse than we've got now without air conditioning, probably without shock absorbers. And I'm sure those rides were miserable rides. And, and the faster you go, the bigger each bump feels, and the more it jars, the more uncomfortable your ride is. And that's the way it is with life. If we don't have shock absorbers, spiritual shock absorbers, we're going to have a rough life. Every little thing is going to bother us, and we're going to have a miserable life. And if we have a miserable life and are always unhappy about stuff, if every little thing upsets us, we can't have a good life. And so I want to talk about a few things this morning to help us develop spiritual resilience so that when things happen to us, that it, it, it doesn't just ruin our whole life. The first thing that we need to do is that we need to get some perspective. We need to, one of the things that all, most of us do is we get emotionally involved in the problems that happen to us. And what we need to learn to do is get some perspective and to stand back and as objectively as possible and maybe get some help from uh, somebody that's not emotionally involved, look objectively at the problem and ask ourselves, how bad is this problem really? In the big scheme of things, how big is this? We need to ask, have I blown it out of proportion? A lot of times I know, I found out with, uh, in our marriage, when Angie and I get upset about something and get in a big fight, looking back, whatever started the fight was a little thing but we were bringing other things into it or we were already upset about other stuff. And that's sometimes what happens when problems in life happen is that we're, we're bringing past baggage into it and making this into a bigger problem than what it is. We need to be objective. We need to ask, what is the worst thing that could happen? And a lot of times we sit back and we think maybe uh, we messed up at work and the we know the boss is going to be unhappy. He's going to call us into his office, and we're just sweating, and our palms are sweaty, and we're just, just nervous and shaking and scared of the boss. What's the worst thing that could happen? He's not going to shoot you. He may fire you, but that's about all. What are you going to do if he fires you? You're going to go out and get another job, aren't you? That's the worst thing that could happen. We need to ask ourselves, what's the worst thing that happened, and what will I do? Another thing to get perspective is we need to ask ourselves, are other people going through this? Or have other people gone through this? Are other people going through things worse than this? There's a, a phrase we 
you probably heard called first world problems. Someone's cell phone doesn't work. We get all up, oh, the battery's down. Oh. We got people, we've got Christians that have to walk five miles to get two buckets of water to bring home to drink. And we're upset about our cell phone not working. We need to get, see the bigger picture and put it in perspective. Are other people going through worse things than this? I saw Dale recently said, the, the things that you're complaining about are the things that somebody else is wishing for. There's a lot of people that have got a lot worse than we do right now. So the first thing we need to do to kind of smooth the bumps out in life is we need to put things into perspective. A lot of times, if we can step back, I think about, you remember the old Star Trek series, Spock, he was half human and half, I think, Vulcan, he had the pointed ears, and Captain Kirk would say something and Spock would stand up and he goes, that is highly illogical, Captain. <laughs> he was also so logical. Now, you ask Angie, and it's miserable to live with someone like that, but a lot of times the reason we have so many problems is not because logically it's a bad problem, it's because we get emotionally upset. We need to stand back and get some perspective, say, what is the best way to deal with this problem? Get some perspective. Another thing we need to do, and a lot of you aren't going to like this, is that we just need to toughen up. You know, God, this is not our vacation here. God has promised us a home in heaven. We're here to work. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 3, Paul writes to Timothy, You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Constantly throughout the New Testament, this life is not called a vacation. This life is called warfare. You're supposed to put on the spiritual armor of God. Uh, repeatedly, it's referred to as a, as a warfare. And the problem with us here in the United States is that for about 200 years, and especially the last 50 years, it has been so easy. None of us have ever been persecuted. None of us have ever been in fear of our lives. None of us have ever had to hide to come to church. We've never been in uh, danger of starving to death. We can get some pretty serious illnesses and go to the doctor or the hospital. They give us medicines and stuff that would killed people 50 years ago we've had and survived we have had an easy cushy life and so we get to thinking that that's the way life is supposed to be but you know that's not the way life is life for most people for the last 6,000 years and for most people in other countries right now is extremely difficult so we need to toughen up I remember I think as Brad Benoit spoke at the at the Brotherhood meeting a few years ago, and I can't remember exactly what he talked about, and he said that we need to seek out persecution rather than avoid it. Now, I don't know that we need to try to get ourselves into trouble and get persecuted. I don't think that's what he means. But as a Christian, rather than trying to have an easy life, we need to toughen up. We need to stand up straight, grow some backbone, and do what we're supposed to do, no matter what people say or think about it, rather than shrinking back and trying to get get out easy out of this and not draw any attention to ourselves. We need to toughen up. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. Paul says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, 
That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Paul talks about two kinds of Christians. He talks about little bitty babies and then he talks about adults. He said, for some of you, the times come that you should be adults, but you're not. You're still like little kids that need milk. As Christians, we need to toughen up. Maybe the reason we're not very tough is because our life has been so easy. Maybe we need to, like the phrase, uh, man up. And the earlier we start this process of toughening up, the better we are. There's a phrase now you hear called helicopter parents. It's parents that just hover over their children trying to protect them from everything that goes wrong. And it's reasonable to protect our kids from things that they should not be exposed to at too early an age. Uh, there's just a natural progression of uh, knowledge and wisdom and, and strength. And obviously we're going to protect our kids from unreasonable hardships. But at the same time, how do they learn if we protect them? I don't know if it's true or not. I remember hearing when I was, I guess, in grade school, that the American Indians never told their kids that something was hot and did let them touch it and find out. Now, obviously, the, parent, the American Indian is not going to let their kid fall in the fire and burn to death. I mean, that's ridiculous. But you touch a hot rock, what's going to happen? You're going to get some blisters, and you know what? No one will ever again have to tell you that's hot. Parents that, that shield the, we parents that shield our children uh, from every hardship, we're not doing them any favors. The sooner we learn to toughen up, the better off we are. Uh, I mentioned sometimes that you see a Christian that just seems to go through life, and sure, they, they get upset about stuff, and when someone dies, they're sad and everything, but they seem to just cruise along, and you say, how do they do that? You'll never meet a strong Christian that hasn't had a hard past. That's how we toughen up. The third thing, oh, we've talked about getting perspective. We've talked about toughening up. The third thing is we need to take an honest inventory of our lives. Talked earlier about uh, being objective. Uh, we're going to have the Lord's Supper here in a little while, a chapter that's read quite a bit. is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in this, Paul says, let a man examine himself. Now it's interesting. You can be sitting around at work or, or wherever and talking to some of your friends and you got this one guy over here that's just talking. He said, oh, the IRS treated me this way and my boss treated me this way and my wife treated me this way. And you're just, you and your coworkers are just sitting over there trying not to laugh, trying not to roll your eyes because you know how he is. You know how he treats people. You know he cheats on his taxes, and you're just laughing because all these problems that he's blaming on the world around him are his own fault. But you know what? It's hard to be objective and look at our lives and see how much of our problems we brought on ourselves. And I talked about you know us in there, you know, trying not to laugh and rolling our eyes, you know, because it's just so obvious to us. Well, a lot of times when we're complaining about how bad our life is. It's obvious to the people around us that we brought the problems on ourselves. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. Now you've heard me say that a lot of people can fool us, but the person that's best at fooling us is ourselves. Do not be deceived. Don't fool yourself. 
God is not mocked. You can't fool God. You can't trick him. You're not going to make a fool of God. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. The majority of times when we have trouble in our life, we brought it on ourselves. By our actions, our words, our thoughts. And there's been a lot of times I can look back in my life and I can look at how unfairly I was treated and how I did not deserve that. And the older I get, the more I witness things going on around me, the more I learn about myself, the more I learn about my shortcomings, the more I grow, I tell Angie, I'm a different person than I was five years ago. I'll give you an example. I think I've said this before. I've got a guy that works for me, and he's 20 years old, 21 maybe, and he does swimming pools with me. And some of the boneheaded stuff that he does and says, I just go, oh, oh, oh. I'm always complaining. I go, what was he thinking? And then I remember when I was 24, working for Gene Herrett down in Baytown, Texas, on swimming pools, some of the stupid stuff I used to, oh, I can't believe I was so stupid. <laughs> we need to take a look at ourselves and see how much of our problems are brought by, on by ourselves, our words, our thoughts, our actions, the way we treat people. Sometimes, even if it's undeserved, we still could have avoided it. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse, 30, or verse 3 says, A prudent man or a wise man foresees the evil and hides himself. I remember when I was a teenager, I went through a spell where I grew my hair out longer. And, and of course, young people like to stay out late. I remember my dad warning me. He talked about being out too late. And he talked about having my hair long and everything. He says, but you know what? There's nothing good that goes on after midnight. You read about all this stuff in the paper, murders and bad car wrecks. You know, when I was a fireman, if we went to wreck during the daytime, it's probably a fender bender. If we went to wreck at nighttime, it was probably a major wreck. Somebody's probably hurt. But you get stopped by a policeman at midnight, 1, 2, or 3 o'clock in the morning, now, maybe you weren't up, I mean, you weren't doing anything wrong. But most of the people out at that time in the morning, most people that policeman runs into are up to no good. And when he sees you out at 2 o'clock in the morning, you and your friends, maybe you're driving a little fast, he's just going to automatically assume that you're up to no good, that you've either done something wrong or you're about to do something wrong. You say, well, that's not fair. That's why you're stupid. <laughs> A wise man, a wise man foresees the evil and hides himself. My dad warned me, didn't he? If I was wise and I listened to him, I wouldn't be out at 2 o'clock in the morning. That policeman would not have stopped me, and I wouldn't be sitting in jail right now. I'd be in my warm, cozy bed at home. And that's true with most of us. Even a lot of times we can look back a few years later and, and say, I didn't deserve that, but I was asking for it by my actions. A wise man foresees evil and hides himself. And once you've taken this honest inventory and you start seeing yourself clearly the way you are, now you can start avoiding these behaviors that got you in trouble. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about all sorts of evil people. It says, and such were some of you. 
Now he's not talking about people telling little white lies and, and, and saying things. He's talking about some pretty wicked people. He says, such were some of you. Once we've taken an honest inventory, we can change. No matter how bad the problem is, we can change through Christ. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I tell you one of the, the fourth thing that we can do to smooth out our riding life, give us some resilience to make our life easy, is we can forgive. Now, we, if you want one of you can talk about forgiveness in, a, in an application or something, we all know the verses, forgiving our neighbor seven times seven and, and uh, forgiving our enemy, or God, asking God to forgive us as we forgive our enemies. The best thing we can do is be a forgiving person. Now it's true that they caused the first wound by what they did to us. But we're causing the rest of the wounds. This is what not forgiving does. They got it started, but we're keeping it going by not forgiving. Forgive and let it go or it'll eat you alive. You think that you, they made you feel this way, but when you won't forgive, you're the one inflicting the pain on yourself. Someone else said forgiveness doesn't excuse their behavior. Forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying you. Hebrews Paul wrote, he said, Beware lest the root of bitterness springing up among you and many be defiled. To be defiled means to be made dirty or, or sinful. And you take a person that's not forgiving and they get a little burr under their saddle and it just gets worse and worse and all of a sudden they get to be a mean, bitter, hateful person and they don't forgive. You can see it in their faces a lot of times. And you can see it just show, slowly destroying their life, their spiritual life, just like a cancer does somebody. Uh, forgiveness doesn't excuse their behavior. It prevents their behavior from destroying us. We can only have peace of mind when we forgive other people and don't judge. And then on the thought of forgiveness, one of my favorite uh, quotes is, Oscar Wilde said, always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them so much. <laughs> but along with forgiving others, we need to accept God's forgiveness for ourselves. It, it may seem strange, but there are Christians that, that won't accept God's forgiveness. They say, oh, I'm such a bad person, God could never forgive me. What? Are you bigger than God? Are you so big that God's not big enough to forgive you? Was Christ's blood, was it not good enough? Did God not offer the best sacrifice he could? Is, is there something else that God should have done so that he can forgive you? Are you God's judge? Who are you to tell God that he can't forgive you? He said he did. Who are you? What's your problem? God has done everything. The Bible says there's no further sacrifice. There's nothing else that can be done than this sacrifice to forgive you. Why won't you accept God's forgiveness? Sure, you understand that we've got to forgive each other. We've got to move on and not get bitter. Why are you bitter at yourself? Are you God's judge? Of course you're not. In the same way that you forgive other people, accept God's forgiveness for you. You look around and you say, oh, well, there's Chris. Man, he's such a good guy. He's so nice. And 
look at me. I'm so sinful. I think these thoughts and I do these things. And all my life I've been fighting with this problem. Look at Chris sitting over there. Look what Chris isn't a good guy. He's got problems he's been fighting. Now, we don't get up here in church and just tell all our problems and air out our dirty laundry. We let by God. What good would that do? If we all got up here and told our worst thoughts, would we be better people? Of course not. I did it. It's past. God forgave me. I'm trying to change. What more do you want me to do? What more do I want Matt to do? We come here and we're doing our best. And we're going we're gonna to praise God and His Son for what they did for us. And we're going to go out today and do our best. We're all sinners. You're no worse than anyone else. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. And if God can forgive Paul, he can forgive us. The problem is when we want to accept it. You know, you do something nice for somebody. Somebody needs help moving. So you, you go over and, and uh, you help them. And you go home, you feel good. Oh, you know, you did a good job. They, and they say, they say, man, I really appreciate you. There was no one else that could help me. I had to be moved out by it. I really appreciate it. And so they bring you a $25 gift card to, to a restaurant. Say, oh, no, no, I couldn't accept this. Why not? They allowed you to do something nice for them. Why are you not allowing them to do something nice for you? Take the gift card and say thank you. Accept his forgiveness and say thank you. Accept God's forgiveness. That'll really smooth out our life. Be the architect of your faith is one of the things that we need to do to get some resilience in our life. Rather than blaming everybody else and our situation in life and where we were born and who our parents were and who our brothers are and our boss take charge of our life. The things in life that we can control are point zero 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 two three percent Now, I can whip my kids and beat them and stand in the corner, but you know what? When they get grown up or they're out of the house, maybe they're going to do what they want to. I can try to influence Angie and get her to do what I want her to do, but she's in control of herself. I can't control you. I can't control the president. I can't control Congress. I can't control leaders in China and North Korea and Cuba. There's only one thing I can control, and that's myself. Well, that's the one thing I have control over. <laughs> Whether or not I can control myself is another story. But we need to learn to control ourselves. The Bible says, what shall a man gain or profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? On Judgment Day, the only thing that God's going to be talking to you about is yourself. Not your wife, not your kids, not your grandparents, not your co-workers. How did you live? Did you accept the blood of Jesus Christ? The only thing that we can control is ourselves. God is not going to make us do the right thing. He, he's going to put all these good things out here for us. He's made all these promises for us. But then it's up to us to make the decision. Have you ever heard someone that says, I smoked for 40 years. 
and I put it down and never touched it again. Now, it's not always that easy to kick a habit. I understand that. I'm not saying that. But eventually, you've got to make that decision that you're tired of the way things were and you see how things can be. And you look back there and you can keep doing the same things over and over. Or you can say, I'm going to change. One of the first things we've got to do before we are saved repent and then be baptized. We've got to make that decision. We need to be the architect of our life and quit blaming other people. So the things that we've talked about is we've got to get a perspective, put things in perspective. We've got to toughen up. We've got to forgive others and then we need to take charge of our lives. And if we'll do this, and I talked about earlier, those people, they just seem to sail right on through life and nothing ever seems to affect them. No matter what happens, they just keep on going. Inside, it's not that easy, but when you have these qualities, you can make it look easy. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, Paul wrote the Ephesians, he says, referring back to the battle again, He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all, to stand. And then 1 John uh, chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. We can overcome, we can get that resonance, we can just sail through life and make it to, to Judgment Day and enter into the vacation or to the reward if we can develop some mental resonance or spiritual resonance. Um, we always offer what's called a song of invitation. And a lot of times people are made to feel like they've got to come forward, and that's not true. You know what the greatest fear among people is? It's not claustrophobia. It's not fear of heights. The greatest fear, I believe, is speaking in front of somebody. You don't, you're not under any obligation to do that. But as we sing this song, you can think the things we've talked about or maybe things that are totally different, things you've been thinking about the past week, things in your life. And I said, you know, you can make that decision. And you don't have to tell me about it. You don't have to tell the elders about it. You can just sit right where you are and you can say, I'm going to do things differently from now on. But if you need help, we'll be glad to take care of that while we stand and sing this song.